You're listening to Nightlight. Hello and a warm welcome to the latest edition of Nightlight. Going to do something different on the show today. I have this very inspiring testimony from Mordi from the Middle East that I recorded when he was visiting Uganda with John Patrick and Mark McMillan in the summer. It's about 30 minutes long. Then I've been dying to do a special on the songs of Keith Yoakum, but I don't have enough of them to fill up 60 minutes. So the first half of the show is going to be Mordi's testimony. And then for the second half, we're going to switch gears completely and enjoy an uninterrupted 30 minutes appreciating the talent of Keith Yoakum. So let's start with Nightlight's interview of the week. Welcome to Nightlight, Modi. Now, you're from a Muslim country in the Middle East. You've been visiting us here in Uganda with John Patrick. It's been very inspiring to meet you, a young person so on fire for the Lord, in love with Jesus and his word. And you've been quite a hit here in Uganda, sharing your testimony in various churches, fellowships, Bible study groups. And I'm sure they've never met anyone quite like you. Anyway, I've invited you onto the program to share with our listeners the testimony that you've been sharing with the Ugandan people. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. It was actually great to be here because um, I came here exactly four weeks ago and I will be traveling today back to my country. So it's been a really wonderful trip. Um, There were some parts that was a little bit difficult because we had to go to different parts uh, up in the boonies and all that. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to travel to those places. But it was worth the effort. You really enjoyed your time in Uganda. Oh, I I loved it. It's it's totally a different world. It's a different universe. Most people have no idea about about Uganda. When when I told people that I was going to Africa... Mm Uh, They were just telling me all about the things that they were uh, hearing from all these doctors or the TV programs they they were watching, but they had no idea about what life is really like in Uganda. Right, so how did you picture it before you came, and how is it different to how you pictured (laughs) it? Well, I thought I was going to uh, a desert, basically. uh, I thought we will be surrounded by lions and tigers and all that. And yeah, it's actually nothing like how I imagine, especially Uganda. I mean, I read in different places and I heard from many different people that it is the Pearl of Africa. I, I did not imagine it like this. It's just so beautiful, so green, extremely friendly people. I love it. All right. Well, tell us your testimony, the testimony that you've been sharing with the people here. Yeah. Okay. So, wow, I have a long testimony, but maybe I should be giving the listeners, uh, a little bit of background information about my life. Um, my parents uh, fell in love with each other at the age of 18, and they want to get married right away. However, this idea was objected by my mom's family, because number one, my mom's family was extremely religious, and my dad's family was not. And number two, my dad was a socialist at that time. I don't know if people know anything about what a socialist is like, but in in a country in a Muslim country, it's um, usually those people are very open minded and very friendly. So my dad was a socialist, and and my mom's family did not like that at all about him. My mom's family said no to the idea, and my mom still went ahead with the idea and ran away with my dad six months later, and that was the beginning of I would say a difficult and traumatic experiences that she'll be going through for the next 30 years. What happened was that 
six months after my mom ran away with my dad, my dad was put in jail for two and a half years. I I wasn't I wasn't even born, so I can imagine that it was a really hard time because um, I heard some uh, horror stories and all that. And my dad actually never openly talked about what happened to him, but I know that he was tortured in jail. I don't know if it was for two and a half years, but for quite a long time he was tortured in jail. So when he got out of jail, he was a completely different person. My mom says she's never met such a nice guy before. But after he got out of jail, he just became extremely selfish, self-centered. He became extremely disrespectful, unloving, and I would say merciless. So that was a real difficult experience for my mom to see my dad like that. So everything actually changed because when my dad got out of jail, uh, he just started living his own life without worrying or thinking about anyone else. He started living an extremely selfish life. So he got a job in one of the state universities. And uh, so he was actually making a lot of money for a person who just got out of jail. So he starts spending uh, all his money with, uh, on alcohol with uh, prostitutes and all that. And he started drinking away like a madman. He would be coming home drunk every night. If he came home five or six o'clock in the afternoon, he will still smell like alcohol. Although he was trying to hide it all the time, uh, we knew that he was hanging out with four or five different kinds of um, prostitutes. And he was spending all his money with them. The The problem was that besides him being an alcoholic and waste and spending all his money with prostitutes uh, who were as lost as him, he, he was just extremely mean to everyone around him. He actually started blaming everyone after a certain point for what had happened to him when he was 18 years old. He started telling my grandparents that it was their fault that he, he was in the, uh, that he was in jail. He started being extremely aggressive towards my mom. He actually never hit my mom, but he was just with words and not with action. He was just extremely aggressive. He was not loving. He was not kind. He never smiled when he was around us. But when he was on the phone and we were, we could we could hear him talking to those to those women that he was hanging out with. Uh, he was just such a happy man. But as soon as he entered the door, his just face his face just went down, and nobody wanted to be around him. He was not a happy person. He was always complaining. He was speaking as if the whole world owed him something. Uh, he used to say things like, we pay the biggest price for this country, therefore I can do whatever I want to do. I, I believe even if somebody doesn't follow Jesus, people know that they have responsibilities and people know that they cannot do whatever they want to do because there are certain things in life that you have to be careful about. Mm-hmm. And I believe family is one of those things that you really have to care for. And so my dad was, he just did not care about his family. This doesn't hurt me at all right now. But uh, I I didn't have a toy as a child, never. So in that sense, I can understand my African brothers and sisters who grew up poor. But the, the, the wonderful thing is that God actually was able to use this for me to be able to relate to the African people when I was talking to them. When I was talking to people, I could feel that we had something in common. 
Uh, I'm thankful for that. I, I never, in the past, I would feel terrible about it. But right now, I just see that God can use pretty much anything if we let Him. So I, I didn't have a toy, and I I I, n- I never bought new clothes because, as I said, my brother is old, six years older than me. So I always uh, wore the things that he had, and my mom, my poor mommy, had to make sure. That my brother was using his clothes uh, in a careful manner, so that I can use them as well as I grew up. So I was born into this family, and I had a really difficult childhood. I mean, every once in a while, I will say every other three months, the people from different banks will come into my house and take all the electrodomestics away because my didn't. My dad didn't pay the loan that he got from the banks. So that was a real bad experience as a child. I always felt that pressure on my shoulders. I have an older brother, and he's six years older than me, and he went through even a tougher experience because it was not easy for him at all because he actually remembers every single detail. So he's still very bitter about what happened in the past. So I grew up, and I was by the time I was seven years old, uh, my mom had a brilliant idea. My city gets really hot in summer, so my mom said, "Why don't you go to the village to spend the summer vacations?" Because uh, my grandparents, my my father's family, they had a, a summer house up in the village, so they just um, said, "Oh yeah, you can come. Why not? There's there's no problem." So when I went there, uh, my my grandparents were getting a bit old. So what happened was that um, my grandparents said, "Oh, you know, uh, maybe you can go to maybe you can go to the mosque in the mornings to learn about the religion, Islam, and all its rules and regulations and all its benefits that you'll be receiving, and also how to read the Quran in in Arabic." Now the the thing is, in my country, we don't speak Arabic, so I actually didn't understand anything from what I was reading. <laughs> when I was reading Quran. What happened was I started learning a lot of new things. And by the time I was 14 years old, I actually became a very devout Muslim, I can say. I was the one who was calling the morning prayers in my village. I was waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning or 4.30. And I was calling the morning prayers. And because I actually learned the, the things a little bit faster than my other friends, the imam, which means the, the Muslim priest, uh, he told me to start teaching the younger generations. So I actually was Paul when he was still Saul. So I was a very devout Muslim. But all that changed uh, with one experience that I had with a, with another Muslim preacher that came from another another village to my village to give the Friday sermon. He said, um, we have these things that you can put on your head that are, that are called takke. It's basically pretty much the same thing that... The, 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 the Christian priests put on their heads or the, the Jews, the Pharisees, when they're praying. So this guy told me, um, if you put this thingy on your head and you pray with our denomination, you're going to get 70 times more good works, which is sevap in the Arabic language and in all the other languages, uh, for going to heaven. And I just had a very sincere question. And, and here's the thing. I actually wasn't criticizing him or questioning him. Because I was very devout, and I want to become even more devout, I just asked him, where did you read this? Because I want to learn more. 
And he said, oh, this is not actually written in Quran. It's one of the the words of the Prophet Muhammad, which is called Hadith. And he said, but you can't actually find this book because uh, you can't actually read this in that book because that book does not exist anymore. Well, he was wrong because I went home that afternoon and I asked my grandpa. I said, Grandpa, do you have this book? He said, yes. <laughs> and I, I was just shocked because I was not expecting that at all. I, I didn't. I didn't even know if the Buddha existed or not. So my grandpa told me, I still remember, he said, but this might be a bit heavy for you. And I said, no, I would still like to go ahead and read the book. So I started reading the whole book. I had basically, that was the beginning of summer. So I had about three months to go through the entire book. So I finished the book. And at the end of the summer, I went to the mosque. And surprisingly, the same preacher who told me that was there also on that Friday sermon. So after everybody left, and because I didn't want to embarrass him in front of other people, after everybody left, uh, I went up to him and I said, Sir, here's the book, but I actually couldn't find those words that you told me. And he didn't say anything, but I could see that he was disturbed with the idea that I was actually questioning him. Or more than questioning him, I actually went ahead and looked for it because probably he didn't expect that I was going to be doing that. So he didn't like that so much, but he didn't tell me anything to my face. So I had to go back to my city because the school year was about to start. My grandpa called me about three or four weeks later. He was still in the village. He said, oh, son, uh, you're the topic of the village in the last four weeks, by the way. That took me by surprise. I was just asking him, what, what did I do? He told me, well, remember this preacher that you were talking to after the Friday sermon? Yes. So he has been preaching in the, in the last four weeks, every Friday sermon, how disrespectful the young generation has become. I don't want to say that was it, but for me, really, that was it. I, I was already looking for a way out. And when I heard this, I just totally gave up on religion. Mm. And I didn't like the idea at all about uh, having to do something in order to be sure that I'm going to go to heaven one day. So then I started meeting other kind of people from other kind of belief systems from different ideologies and in the meantime I actually started hating God I was just angry at the fact that uh, he was okay with all these things he was okay with all these people and the funny thing is when I was spending time with these other people that I was just meeting recently I was not happy and satisfied and I was actually I was becoming more and more depressed because I was looking for a way out of the chaos that I found myself in as a child with my dad and none of these other people gave me the solution that I needed so I started hating God even more I started hating people I closed myself off and by the time I was 18 years old all my friends had passed the university exams and I was alone in my city all my friends left and my brother, whom I used to consider as my best friend, now Jesus has taken his place, <laughs> he was about to get married and his wife didn't like my family because of what, how my dad was living his life. So my brother was about to get married and I was really, really depressed. And I still remember one day I had a friend who was visiting me from one of the cities that uh, he was studying and he asked me to go to play basketball to the university and I said why not we have nothing to lose we have time 
So we went, we went to the university, and while we were about to go down to the indoor place to play basketball, I saw some foreigners playing basketball outside. So my friend again said, hey, why don't we just go and join these people? And again, my, I, my approach was, why not? We have nothing to lose. So we went down there, and we started playing basketball with these foreigners. And uh, I didn't even know they were actually followers of Jesus. Because in where I live, that's not the first thing you you actually tell people. You don't want to get that attention on you. Mm-hmm. It can be a dangerous situation. So uh, we exchanged numbers with these people. And that was that. Uh, a week later or so, I called them. So uh, they invited me to go to the hospital animation. And I asked them what it was about. So they said, well, we are going to be doing some projects. Uh, we are going to be doing an animation for children who are suffering from leukemia. So I went because this because my my mom one of my mom's sisters died of cancer mm. and she had leukemia also. So this was already something that that was hurting me that I've had in my heart for a long time. So I I went to the hospital animation and I really liked what I, what I saw there. They were really there because they want to be there. It wasn't anything. They were not getting paid. They were just doing volunteer work just because they wanted to, because they were motivated to. So afterwards, I actually, more than they, they started telling me, I started telling them if I could join them with all the other projects. And they were happy about it. And because they, they always needed some volunteers to go to different projects, because most people were either busy or because they didn't get paid, they just didn't want to take part in these kind of projects. So... And I, I wasn't studying in university. I had no friends. I was about to lose my best friend, who was my brother at that time. So I started hanging out with these people. About a year later or so, I started seeing things in a different perspective. I actually realized that I was becoming a happier person. And my life started to make some sense. But I still had that depression somewhere deep down in my heart the things that were taking me back to my past, all my ideas and all my feelings. And I I remember having nights that I would be sweating a lot just by thinking about what my dad has done in the past. So about a year and a half later after I met my friends, I went to their house and this was a really, this is a really interesting experience. Um, here's the thing, we... As, as, as a Muslim, I was always told that Bible is corrupted. And Bible was written by people. Uh, it wasn't sent to the world by God like Quran was. And I, I just want to find out if this was true or not. I didn't actually have any motivation to, to read the Bible. I just, I just want to find out if everything that all these uh, religious people were telling me was really true or not. So I went to the house and I still remember I knocked on the door. And uh, the sister opened the door. Okay, she said, Hi, Morty. I, I was like, yeah, hi, how are you? Good. And I just told her straightforward, I want to read something today. She looked at me. She said, you want to read something? I was like, yeah. What do you want to read? I want to read the Bible. The Bible? Yes, with me. Yeah, why not? With you or anyone else, it doesn't really matter. And she said, give me five minutes, please. I said, sure. She went upstairs and she came down five minutes later. Well, the thing is, 
I imagine those five minutes they were just praying upstairs to see if this really was God's will. Because in my country, it's one of those countries that Jesus sends his disciples out as sheep among the wolves. So you really have to be on guard all the time. You really have to be watchful. The thing is, people can have two kinds of reactions to what you're telling them. First one, they can really become a good friend and they can... In the long term, they can become a disciple of Jesus, like what happened to me. Or they can become Judas Iscariot and give you a lot of problems. Uh, The best case scenario in that situation would be to get kicked out of the country. I imagine that you guys can imagine what the worst case situation would be. So I started reading the Bible. So she started reading from the book of Matthew. And thankfully, she skipped the uh, the first chapter because there are a lot of names and I probably will get really bored and I will get totally lost. So she skipped that and we start reading through Matthew chapter 2. And everything was fine. And I I already had a lot of questions in my mind uh, because of my Muslimly worked up mind because Jesus was already being persecuted as a child. Uh, The Muslims always believe that God will never let his holy man or woman suffer such persecution. So I already had so many questions, although I wasn't a religious person at all at that moment. Still, my Muslimly worked up mind was just bringing up all these questions. But then we came to Matthew chapter 5, and she told me very clearly, now we are going to be reading only the words of Jesus without any of the author's words without any additional information from the author. I remember being really excited but and nervous at the same time. I just didn't know how to how to think about what I was going to be reading. I was like, this is going to be Jesus. Wow, I'm going to be reading his Pura and this was my first time. And I also remember thinking, this is my last chance for freedom. Because I already tried many other things. And some of the things I tried might be disturbing some of uh, some of the listeners. So I'm not going to go into those. I, that's why I haven't gone into those details. So I st- we start reading the be- Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, exactly. So we start reading, teaching about anger, teaching about vows, teaching about other things. Then we came to the part where we start reading, teaching about love for enemies. We read it, and she continued, and I said, wait a second, wait a second. What does he exactly mean by love for enemies? Well, she just went back and read it again with me. And I just told her, he doesn't mean that I should be loving my dad, right? By that time, they already knew that I've had a lot of heartbreaks because of what my dad has done in the past. And he still was doing all those things when this thing was happening. She said, well, I can't really say anything about it, but here's another thing. She took me through uh, the part where Jesus talks about forgiveness. That was actually the beginning of a long journey, but I still remember what what I was saying to myself. Like, I don't like this Jesus guy at all. He's just telling us, to love people and to forgive. And this was something completely new to me. I've never heard anything like that. Because here's the thing. I was always told if someone slaps you on one cheek, you slap them on the other cheek. But Jesus said, if someone slaps you on one cheek, he says, turn the other cheek. And this is a completely new concept. 
I would say for anyone who's coming from another religion except for Christianity. That was the beginning of my journey with Jesus. And it took me a long time, a really long time, to be able to forgive my dad completely. It took me about four years. The, the thing is, I was just telling God, I was like, God, my dad, you know that he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And he said, yeah, that's not the point. He was just simply telling me, I want you to forgive because this situation was just like a block on the road. I knew that I had the potential to move forward, but I just couldn't because this was a barrier that was right in front of me since my childhood. So four years later, simply by God's grace, this this was not something that I could be doing by myself. It was simply God's grace. Uh, He gave me the grace to be able to forgive my dad. And I forgave my dad. And after a while, I actually told my dad that he was forgiven, that, that I didn't hold him accountable for what he had done in the past. And unlike what I thought he would say, he actually didn't say anything at all. He just looked at me and he started crying. And I, I still remember uh, thinking, actually, he's aware of what he's done in the past. It's not like he, he has no idea about what he was doing. He actually knew what he was doing. But only maybe only two years ago, I actually started learning how to put my feet in other, in other people's shoes in a better way. What I mean by that is that I actually never saw my dad as an individual who was lost. I always saw my dad as my dad, and I always loaded him with different kind of responsibilities, all these to-do lists, all these things that he had to do for me as he was my dad. But when I just took a step back, and when God was able to show me the bigger picture of my dad's life, I mean, being tortured at the age of 18 is not something easy. And I can only imagine how he felt like after two and a half years in jail. So that was the beginning of a very freeing journey. Uh, Afterwards, I actually was able to start loving people more freely. Uh, Still, I had difficult time forgiving other people who wronged against me. But I did not actually mind so much because I just started seeing people as God's lost sheep rather than seeing them as individuals who had different kind of lifestyles and all that. And everybody has a different kind of lifestyle and that's not the point. The point is when people really don't know who Jesus really is, life is difficult and it it can be really challenging to, to change or to make a difference in someone's life. So that was that and I started following him at the age of 18 and now I'm 28 years old and God has done tremendous amount of miracles in my life in the last 10 years. I mean, I just finished my master's degree, which is purely a miracle because uh, by the time I was 15 years old, I was already telling my mom that I hated studying and I wasn't going to the high school. Mm-hmm. And my, I, my mom begged me to finish high school. And later on, I just went to the university somehow. And this is after all these things came to pass. And right before I actually came to Uganda, I finished my master's degree. I had my final thesis defense. I passed. I was told that I was. Uh, I passed uh, my final thesis and everything was fine. Now I'm I'm happy. I live. I I don't live in my country anymore. I'm living in in one of the European countries uh, with my lovely girlfriend. And and she's 
truly been a blessing to me. We've been together for the last five years. I'm so thankful that I found her because she actually has helped me in many difficult situations, including when I would have some flashbacks about my past with my dad. She would just encourage me and say, it's over. You have already forgiven him. You don't need to get stuck there. Just move on. Her existence in my life has really made a big difference and had a big impact in how I see life. Now I'm much happier and I I really believe that Jesus has a higher calling for my life. That's actually one of the reasons why I came here. Right. Just let me explain to our listeners that you've been recording the translation in your language for Mark McMillan's wonderful Prophecies of Daniel series. Yes. And these prophecy classes will now be able to reach your countrymen when they're posted on his website and very popular YouTube channel. Uh, Yeah, that's actually another thing. Uh, Mark and I have met each other when I was still living in my country. It was actually, when we have met, it was just an idea up in the air. But later on, God had a different plan, as 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 I can see right now. And so I have translated already four of his videos to my language. We just did the recording here in Uganda. That was actually one of the reasons why I came here. I came here to share the gospel with people, the gospel of reconciliation with people, but also meeting together with Mark here and and doing the recording of those videos in my language was another goal. And you and Mark have been staying at our new Tribal Bible Recording Studio and Guest House, and you've been working very closely with our wonderful team of Ugandan audio technicians. How was the experience? Oh, it was really good. It was really interesting because this was, as you said, this was the first time that I was in such an environment. One thing that I can definitely say about Ugandan people is that they're extremely friendly and welcoming. Uh, We never felt like a burden by the time we were staying there. And they were they were just extremely friendly with us. They would be trying to talk to us if if they they would just come to our door every once in a while to see if everything was okay. They helped us and the recording it was extremely professional. It was really good. They had a wonderful setup and they had an air con, which actually made everything all, even easier for us. So that was a really uh, nice atmosphere. We really enjoyed staying there. And I felt really bad when, when I was saying goodbye to them. I felt like I was saying goodbye to a long time, to long time friends. So it was really great to be there. And they're, they're very professional there. Uh, I, I just loved working with them. They made everything so easy. Will we see you in Uganda again, Mori? We hope so. Well, it is my sincere prayer to be able to come back to Uganda. And maybe bring your Spanish girlfriend? Yes, definitely. She's she's really more than excited about the idea of coming here again. Um, but we, we just don't know how what the Lord has in store for us. God knows that it is my sincere hope to be able to come here again and to share the gospel with people in different places, in the cities and in the villages alike. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. And thanks so much, Mordi. So now we're going to change gears. And after a half hour of talk, we're switching to 30 minutes of the songs of Keith Yoakum. Keith's one of my favorite songwriters. I know I say that about everyone, right? But it's true, I'm one of the biggest fans of the artists that you hear regularly on this show. 
Keith, I believe, now lives in the U.S., but spent many years on the mission field in South America and other countries, where he teamed up with Bethuel for some years, and they wrote and produced some great songs together and played together in a band in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. That's about as much as I know about Keith, and so that's all I'm going to say. And from here on, let Keith's songs speak for themselves. you said instead of counting stars and making wars and there'd be plenty of bread it seems the more we learn the less we know about things that mean the most what good's all the technology if the world goes up in smoke if we just try and do the things you said Instead of bombs and build bridges Instead of walls Then we could have Peace on earth Instead of hunger, pain and wars Instead of trying to prove it all made itself With no real reason to rhyme Running around in circles Such a waste of time If we just try and do The things you said Instead Eternity 
dad and mom might like this song Remind them of the music when they were young Jazzed up a little and mixed with rock and roll The roaring twenties came just before The big depression and the second world war Oh, what a different world when I was born About the time I became aware of things People started wearing beards and beads Trying to turn the clock any way it would go We didn't care, we didn't know Just knew there was something in the air Something to do somehow, somewhere Trying to get an appointment with Father Time Father Time, Father Time Father to your father and mine Further back or further ahead You got the key to Big Ben's hands Yesterday, yesterday When you were tomorrow it was today But it wasn't for me Now I think I see Settled down and became a family man As the kids grew up, the years just seemed to fly Now my hair's getting gray and I'm getting fat How'd I ever get to look like that When I'm still the same teenager inside There's something about old father time Just sneaks up on you in the blink of an eye Must be what Einstein had in mind Slow motion, fast forward, play and rewind All seem to happen at the same time Time everywhere, I look nothing but time Trying to find time for father time It's your time Seize the day, 
That's what I'm gonna do today I may be getting older But I'm going strong I'm tick-tock ticking Ticking with father time Just tick-tock ticking away with father time Feeling tired? Get inspired with Nightlight. Daddy's little girl always wanting to hold my hand. Story time She always had to be Sitting on my lap Growing up slowly Growing up fast Early riser Stargazer Trying to capture All the dreams that she has Inside her Off to school Off to work Life and fun Years fly by like autumn leaves in the wind Every day it starts all over again Now you got a baby in your eyes And a prince charming in disguise To walk with you, stand by your side Through the dark days and the light Mommy's little girl burst into the world Springing forth into life Been springing forth ever since Through the days of toil and strife Keeping her eye on the go Keeping books with her soul Mommy's little girl Climbing a mountain with a smile that could win the world Now you got a baby in your eyes And a prince charming in disguise To walk with you, stand by your side Through the dark days and the light Daddy's little girl Mommy's little girl I grew up always hearing the story About the man who went everywhere doing good So long ago and so far away Just another story in another book I didn't understand how I fit into the picture And 
And I confess I really didn't see the need I was full of love and life and strength and confidence Until life and love brought me to my knees Now I'm thankful for the storms For the tears and the thorns For the secret of the meek That you're strong when I am weak Now I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna shout I'm gonna tell the whole world about it you how very dearly Jesus loves you. You're listening to Nightlight.
Riding out into the storm I never really knew the meaning of forlorn Thought I'd been there and done it all I wasn't prepared for this fall Shattered at my feet Looks like I'll be picking up the pieces for a while Storm came and turned my world upside down Then I look up and see the rain Precious words of life In dark hour of trial I see the face of God
used to hear about all these things The ups and downs that life brings Bitter and sweet, laughter and pain Sweet and melody and sad refrain But hearing and doing are two different stories One you read, one you write every morning I never would have chosen a rocky path But it brought me to where you're at I used to know about you Now I know As far back as I can remember As far as I could see I couldn't imagine being anyone else I could barely imagine being me Reaching for my place in the sun Swimming the waters of strife I seen the world through different eyes In different phases of my life Of the sky. 
scars for souvenirs And every time I look in the mirror Like a roadmap, your twists and turns Taught me what I've been willing to learn some of the best of Keith Yoakum. If you search for Keith Yoakum on YouTube, you'll find his channel where he sings acoustically some of his latest songs. Let's pray that he can somehow get these recorded in a studio as I'd love to play them for you on Nightlight. Well, that's it for this edition of Nightlight and I'll see you again next time. God bless. I go out on my own Gonna leave the nest behind I see myself turning the page In my heart and mind I got little or no idea Of what lies ahead of me I made my bed How I sleep in it I'm gonna see I'm burning daylight Standing here Best be on my way And turn the page If you wanna know How the story goes Turn the page Hey, I'm gonna leave this house Once again I'll turn the page I'll carry with me what I've learned Into a brighter Guess that's what life is all about Turning the page Life